you have your Bibles, uh, let's go ahead and open them up. Matthew chapter 18 today uh, will just be in pretty much that, that one spot. Uh, Matthew 18, if you don't have a Bible uh, and you love a free one, we'd love to gift one to you. Just raise your hand and uh, Tony B. will, will run one to you. Uh, and Tony's like, well, why me? And I'm like, well, you're the only person I saw right there. And so um, if you don't like Tony B. bringing you a Bible, raise your hand and we'll get Paul to do it. Um, it's your matter of preference. Just text us what you'd like. So, um, all right. So we are we are five weeks into a series on forgiveness, and uh, the tension is is building uh, because if you've been traveling with us, uh, there's a good chance you you know of a relationship where really forgiveness needs to be brought into the equation, but you struggle uh, with not really how to do it. But if you really want to do it, have you ever been there in your life? You're like, I, I would like to want to do that. Uh, I just don't know if I really do want to do that. And, and it's a heavy subject. Definitely it's close to home, and I, I believe it hits close to home with every one of us. Uh, because here's what I know about life. Rarely is the hard choice what we would consider the best choice. But nonetheless, it is. And... And this is why we rely uh, so heavily on the Word of God for instruction. Because we could sit around, uh, we could counsel one another, we could lament to one another, and we could build a case for uh, how we are the victim. Uh, And then in our desire to give each other comfort, we could give advice that really uh, sounds good at the time, but has some very devastating effects for our lives. And so... Instead of that, though, we were looking at the role of forgiveness and what it, how it should be playing itself out as we lean into uh, God's Word. And we, we see things uh, like this said in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, Emma, if you could bring us up. Thank you. Uh, it says, be kind to one another. Right? I know. I was excited about that too. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Okay? And this has been kind of the focus of where we're at, as God in Christ forgave you. And then in Colossians 3, bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive as long as it's convenient or simple for you to do so. Uh, It doesn't say that, does it? Um, I keep trying to add it. Nobody's taking my suggestions at Crossway. Um, and so Crossway, is, it's, it's a Bible manuf- publisher. Uh, I don't know why I told you that part of a joke, because why would any of you know that information? Um, and so, so here's what we're doing. We're asking, how, how do we do this? How do we forgive others? And, and even at times, how do we forgive ourselves in a way that God has forgiven us in Christ? And, and, and what we've been doing for four weeks is begin not by placing our eyes on our conflicts, or even on ourselves, but rather we've been setting our gaze toward God and what He has done and what He continues to do in our relationship with Him. And what we've seen is is how the big picture of forgiveness is simply this, that God loves you, uh, and He does that because He's chosen to love you, that, that He is crazy about you. He sends Jesus so that you can love Him forever. And from that foundation, we began building on the Father's motivation toward forgiving us, that He has a deep desire to restore what we broke 
through sin. What we continue at times to break in our sin. And, and he is forgiving, uh, he is forgiving based on his love and he restores us based on his promises. And, and then last week we talked about uh, just the role of confession as it pertains to forgiveness. That, that confession, though we are forgiven, confession will help clear the lane so our relationship can travel at the speed uh, of God. And, and so, how, where, where we fall today is, can be hard for some of us uh, depending on how you view your relationship with God and how you view the ways that He tells you to do things. And, and I think we, we've started here uh, because today is going to take us a step deeper because God will really seem to want to take away an option from us, uh, which He does. Just fair disclaimer, He takes away an option um, for us. And, and how you view the commands of God in the Bible will say a lot about how you react to the words that Jesus tells us this morning. If you obey um, God because you're trying to avoid guilt uh, or you fear punishment, uh, then there's a good chance you're going to want to avoid or just simply outright ignore uh, what Jesus has to say uh, in this. But if you understand that, that God instructs in His commands um, because He delights in you, then how we respond to that will be different. As we see that His intention is to help us grow, uh, and not just to grow you, but to grow you wholly uh, and to sanctify you. And through this process, you become more like Jesus, and these words this morning, though they may be difficult, can actually grow something very beautiful in you, uh, and grow something beautiful out of you. Uh, and so, in fact, these words, though they can be difficult, they can grow your faith, they can, they can mend your heart, uh, and they can heal your relationship in, in powerful ways. And, and I, don't, I don't say that lightly, um, because I want you to understand there's going to be some hard words here, but they are graceful words. And it is of the mercy of God that He gives them to us. And so that's the privilege we get this morning. Let's pray and then we'll talk about forgiveness. Father, we thank You for Your Word that You gift it to us because You long to help us grow strong. You long to help us see things much more clearly than our emotions tend to dictate in our lives. And so we pray through the power of Your Holy Spirit today that You would speak to us. That You would help us avoid pitfalls and damaging wounds that, that we carry into this moment. Father, we thank You that You are near to us and that You love us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Alright, before we get to 18, uh, Matthew 18, I want to make sure that we aren't confused about some misunderstandings when we use that word forgiveness and what it means. And so, so I think in the very first week I gave you a definition that I'm sure you've all memorized by now. Uh, but we said this, that, that the definition of forgiveness is that it's the act of setting someone free from an obligation to you that is a result of a wrong done against you. You've wounded me, and me forgiving you is setting you free of that obligation to pay me back. Uh, and so, so there are a few beliefs, I think, that we can have that, that trick us into believing that we are walking in forgiveness when really we're, we're walking into something much different. 
Uh, and so let me just give you some misunderstandings about forgiveness. That number one, that justifying or understanding or explaining away someone's behavior is not the same as forgiveness. It's not. I mean, uh, I think uh, I can certainly understand why my coworker did that. They were under a lot of stress when he raised his voice to me in front of my customer. But, but that doesn't mean I've forgiven him. Okay? Um, in fact, it, it's not. Understanding someone's situation is part of forgiveness, but it's only part of it. There has to be a canceling of a debt. Not, I understand why you're a jerk, but I'm forgiving you for being the jerk. All right? Number two, uh, believing, and this is, this is one of my favorites, uh, believing that time heals all wounds is not the same as forgiveness. Do you, do you understand that? Uh, in fact, I, I think this might be one of the most misused and damaging cliches in our lives. Because how, how is it possible that a passage of time or the process of forgetting lead to forgiveness? You realize that time, time doesn't heal all wounds. And I wonder how many times have you said that to a friend? You know, wanting to bring them some comfort. Hey, in time, you won't feel this way anymore. And what I find is that's not the way my heart changes. <laughs> because what I do, instead of time healing all wounds, it gets replaced with things like bitterness and cynicism and anger and all of which are very deadly, not just to that one relationship where there's the wound, but in all relationships. Have you ever been wounded by a person and you say, well, now I'm guarded against all these other people who haven't done anything to me? So time, time doesn't heal. In fact, um, truth is, time doesn't heal because so often in our lives we get stuck in a moment. We do, and we don't, we don't move our hearts anywhere else but there. It's why you can have a relationship with a person and you say, well, everything's fine as long as I don't ever have to see them again. Right? But really, it's not I don't have to see them again. It's as long as nobody ever talks about them again for the rest of my life. And so it doesn't, it doesn't work. Time doesn't heal all wounds. I don't believe it's supposed to. In fact, we're going to find out why that is in Matthew 18. But let me give you number three, uh, that trying to deny or pretend uh, the hurt, um, or the hut, apparently, um, was no big deal. That hut, no big deal. Uh, it's not the same as, as forgiveness. Trying to pretend or, or deny that, that you actually have been wounded, is, it's not forgiveness. Saying it's no big deal doesn't make it any less of a big deal. And, and I think we try to convince ourselves that that what they re did really wasn't as big of a thing after all. And I think this form of denial, it works against the forgiveness process. It's, it's denying that others hurt us in a way that's caused us real physical or mental or emotional pain. It's, it's like denying a part of yourself. And the Bible will tell you, you don't have to ignore that or deny that. When, when there has been a wound, you can address it in a biblical way. All right, you realize you have permission to do that. Okay, we're going to give you that today. If you've never been in Matthew 18, it's going to be helpful. Uh, and so, so what we find in the last half of Matthew 18 contains some powerful verses regarding relationships, uh, especially uh, what we do when our relationships are struggling or, or when our relationships are in conflict. Understanding this, that all, um, 
I believe very firmly about this, that every long-lasting relationship that you have, at one point, there will be some conflict. Okay? If you've ever had a best friend and you're like, hey, we might no longer be best friends after this, right? You, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, because every lasting relationship, there will be a moment where conflict is introduced that you would say, it's, it, it's probably easier for me to go away from you, but yet because I love you, I, we will work through this. It's one of the most beautiful loopholes of marriage. It's, it's how Misty still loves me. Uh, she loves Jesus more than she loves me. Uh, and and so, so I, I believe very firmly what Matthew 18 is telling us to do is how we work through this process of, of conflict resolution. And we're going to see um, at the first part an application uh, of what to do when someone wrongs us. Uh, and, and then we're going to move to a motivation for why we always choose to forgive. If you're wondering where the punchline of the joke's going to be today, God is going to say, you always forgive. You always forgive. And you say, well, you don't know. You don't know how, how bad it was. You don't know how deeply I was pierced. And God will always say, you forgive. And then he's going to tell you why in a minute. And so let's, let's get in. Uh, t- typically, what we, what we would try to do pastorally here um, is, is we would try to split this in two weeks. Um, we're not going to do that. I believe uh, these two sections are connected by verse 21. All right? It simply says this in 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, being Jesus, Lord, how often... Will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Anybody ever ask God that question? Hey, how, how many more times do I give them? And then Peter continues, as many as seven times? You know, as if seven's a huge number, right? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And we're going we're gonna to get into this uh, in more detail in a moment, but but that first word of verse 21 connects us uh, to where we are going and to where we have been, uh, if that makes any sense. So let's jump back into verse 15, uh, where we're going to talk about application. These are steps, okay? These are steps we take when we are in conflict with with other people. And and it's going to start with a word, uh, with a phrase, if your brother sins against you. Okay? And so, so we could, if we're looking for a technicality here, um, we, we could press the argument to say that, that Jesus is only talking about how we forgive people um, who are uh, in the sense of a believer injuring a believer. Okay, So if you're looking for that loophole, I guess you could take it. But what I find is that Paul tells us in Romans 12 that if possible, so far as it depends on you, that we would live peaceably with all that we would be people who pursue peace. We would be peacemakers. So I I firmly believe that these verses here are helpful in the sense of of as far as it depends on you, here's how you restore relationships that are broken. So he starts in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, so you are the one needing to forgive in this moment. They are the ones who have wounded says this, go on Facebook and let everyone know what has happened so you can rally support. Right? No? It doesn't. Ah, it's weird when that Bible gets in the way of our living, right? It says, go and, and tell him his fault. 
between you and Him alone, if, you, if you've given yourself permission to write in your Bible, boy, this is a good one. Between you and Him alone, if He listens to you, you have gained a brother. So in your talk notes, if we're talking about restoring offenses, number one, first step is simply this. You seek private correction. You seek private correction. In fact, you must keep in mind words like uh, Galatians 6 where, where we are instructed, brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person. And, and so regardless, this first step is very plainly explained that we are compelled not to allow the offense to fester, rather that we bring it out, uh, we bring it into the light, and I think this is perhaps where our first misstep typically falls, right? Um, because what we do normally is that we seek counsel from other people, uh, which really just turns into, hey, let me tell you how I'm wounded so I can rally support, so I can get you on my side. Uh, and what Jesus tells us to do first is to put on your big boy britches and confront in love. You say, hey, you wounded me. You hurt me. You hurt me. Now, we're going to find that at the end of that, it's not, you hurt me, let me hurt you back. What we're going to find is the, the lesson goes, hey, you hurt me, but, but I forgive you. That, that you love them enough not to talk to everyone in the world about it. You love them enough not to sit back and watch them wander deeper and deeper into sin or offense. If that person responds rightly, Jesus says, you've won your brother. You've won your brother. And this is the key. All right? This is the key of conflict resolution for the believer. The goal is that we would win the person rather than win the argument. Okay? And now, it's amazing how many times I see this done backwards, where, where a person, um, let's name him Brandon, right? Um, where, where he has won the argument, but he's lost the heart. And... and and so what we're going to see in context in a moment is, is remembering our goal is that we would restore one another so that we can glorify God together. And it's so very important to remember. I want to restore you so that we can have fellowship with one another so that we can make much of what Christ has done in our lives. So, what happens here, and this is what we don't like, is that this removes the need to get even if the offense was personal and it connects both of our hearts to the gospel. And so, so sometimes this correction leads to repentance. If he listens, you've gained your brother, and other times it doesn't. And so Jesus says, I'm not leaving you there. Right? I'm going to give you the next step. And so he says this in verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established. Okay? Now here's the key. That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three uh, witnesses. So number two, you seek correction with witnesses. Okay? We're seeking correction, but now we're doing it with witnesses that we would take a small group into the conversation, not as an intervention, not as a mob, rather that these would be people who long to walk in harmony with other believers. And they would have the same goal of restoration. And what this does, this connects us back to Deuteronomy 19, which I'm sure you've all memorized by now, right? Uh, 
But what Deuteronomy 19 says, that there's a minimum number of people required to establish a fact or a charge. And so if you're taking someone to court, right, if you're bringing this conflict in front of people, that there would be a certain number of people to help establish that. And, and what happens is these people, they help diffuse the emotions that can cloud proper insight in the midst of conflict. Is it the case that sometimes we exaggerate how we feel or what has happened? And so what you do is you find the right kind of people to come and help diffuse some of that emotion. And if the person repents after this, we can walk in unity. If not, Jesus tells us the next step. And he says this in verse 17. It says, uh, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. I know, somebody's like, oh, that's weird. That's, that's awkward. In fact, you might feel uh, this is drastic. You say, I don't, I, don't, I don't know these people here well enough for this to be right. right? Who are they to have that kind of role in my life. And, and now here's the thing. The issue here isn't with the Word, it's with us. That we don't walk in community in the biblical sense here. Because I don't, I don't want to bring that in front of the church. Now, believing that you, you would be bringing it like right now on a Sunday morning. And so... The step may sound unloving or even embarrassing, but we need to feel the tone behind what Jesus is saying. He's, we're tempted to think, well, well, a whole group of people um, talking to this person about their sin, that sounds good in my wound, right? I want them to know, I want more people to know how wrong they are. And the tone here is really in reality that, that the entire church is saying together, hey, we love you. We want you to come back from your sin. We want you to walk in forgiveness. We want to restore you in Christ, that God loves us so much that if we are caught in sin, He sends an entire army of believers to us as a demonstration of His heart for us. And so, uh, and then sadly we get to this point where Jesus says, if, if that step doesn't work, there's a fourth one to take. And He says this, I'm sorry, uh, you seek correction and then with the church, and then next one, I'm sorry, I'm way off, Emma. That's, this is my fault, not you. Um, and if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So what he's simply saying is you release them. You release them. And, and now this might sound harsh, but it's biblical. right? The holiness of the bride of Christ is the priority to Jesus, and he says that, that if there's one who refuses to listen to the gentle restoration of the body, then they need to be removed from the fold. Okay, and it's a matter of, of church discipline, and it hurts. And uh, the reason is that, that sin spreads like yeast in bread, as the Bible describes it. That even the smallest amount can have a great effect on the whole batch. And, and so he continues in verse 18, says, Truly I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Then he gets to verse 20. He says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among you. And so here's, here's what Jesus has been saying, that you, we have the authority of Jesus to play an important role in each other's repentance and restoration. 
It says what, what you bound and what you loose, do, those things have an effect on the community of believers. And our intent should never be about domination or belittlement. Rather, it's, it's loving expression of the forgiveness that we found in Christ. It's, that's going to come into focus in just a second. And, and my bet is that many of us have heard verse 20 before, right? For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. But my money says that we rarely think of it in the context of where Jesus just put it. We, we try to think of it as, do we have quorum for the Holy Spirit to arrive? You know, forgetting that, that Jesus is just as, or the Holy Spirit is just as intimately involved in your life if you are in your prayer closet as if you are with the group of people here. And so what he's saying is that when there are two or three, um, that, that's not about a quorum for his presence, but he's guaranteed his involvement in this conflict resolution when there are calm minds and strong hearts. That, that we are gathered in his name to help a brother or a sister caught in sin find restoration or community that he promises when we do this the right way, he will be there. He will be there. And so, so where we're about to go, that's the application. Those are things you can put into practice. In fact, it's not an experiment that you put on, like, hmm, that advice sounds pretty good. Maybe I'll try it the next time. No, no, this is, these are the steps. This is what he tells us to do. Now what he does is, is so beautiful. He gives us the motivation for seeking re- reconciliation, but more importantly, he tells us why we forgive uh, if they don't respond in a restorative way. So here's what, here's what I mean by that. When Jesus says release them, he's saying you release them from the conflict. You're still, though they might not respond the way you would like them to, you still have to choose to forgive them even if you're creating distance from them. And so Peter's about to ask a question that's on everyone's mind, right? When is enough enough? Right? How many times can a person hurt me before I don't have to worry about them anymore? And so, again, verse 21, Then Peter came up and said to him, uh, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. And, and what's happening is, is Peter is bringing up, there was a Jewish practice where the rabbis would tell people, hey, three times is enough. Once, once they hurt you three times, you no longer have to worry anymore. And Peter says, well, clearly that can't be the case. I've been walking with Jesus and he doesn't respond that way. So maybe I can say seven times, because that's a pretty big number in the Bible. Uh, and, and so if it's not seven, this is what he's asking, then what's the relational cap? What is it? And what Jesus does next is so graceful. He teaches this, this parable uh, and, it, and what happens is it puts us in the scene as we realize how we foster forgiveness as a reflection to the degree we understand how God has forgiven us in Christ. What he does. He says this, verse number 23. It says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. That there will be a moment in our lives when God settles accounts. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Okay, Big number anyways, right? Uh, but to help us better understand this and to avoid math, uh, because math is dumb, right? Anybody agree with me here? 
Yeah, 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 all right. You people, I think God loves you more than all these other people. Um, but there's, there's a lot of ways to talk about what $10,000, 10,000 talents is in our common world, but mainly the best method, I think, is to talk about the hourly wage that we have here. And so, so let's assume, for the sake of math, don't check it, I think I'm right, and if I'm wrong, let's just assume that the pastor's always right about these things, um, that let's assume you work for an hour and you make $15, okay? Let's say you work 50 weeks out of the year, you work 2,000 hours, that would bring you to about $30,000 a year. At that rate, it would take you 20 years to pay back one talent, okay? So, problem is, this guy doesn't owe one talent, he owes 10,000 talents, and that, that range estimates anywhere between 5 to $7 billion dollars okay now this point is exaggerated well i say it's exaggerated i think jesus is making a very specific uh point that here uh to understand the amount of what god has done that's a lot of double shifts and a lot of overtime that you never shift a shift sniff the total never you will never come close to finishing that and the amount is important because of what the king is about to do and then secondly how this man is about to respond Verse 25, And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that, they, that he had. Wouldn't that be awkward? Like, hey, honey, um, about, I uh, went to the bank today. They did not like it. Uh, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring the king, Have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And I love verse 27, because boy, am I found here. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Not only does he release, but he is forgiven. He is released and he is forgiven. What a, what a merciful king showing compassion to someone who is most definitely in the wrong and clearly shows dishonor at all the king has made available. The king has lavished him. Get him more money than he would ever really know what to do with. In fact, it's more than a lifetime of debt that's incurred, and yet the king releases and he forgives the debt. And if you aren't following the parable, you've just been described. You've just been found. And you've been found wanting. The Bible says that the wages of sin is is death, that, that sin creates a debt between us and we've run up a total before a holy and a just God that we cannot pay back. It's more than a lifetime's worth, no matter how many doubles and how many overtime shifts you take. This can't be good enough. This is, this is you and your Heavenly Father who takes pity on us because we are pitiful beings. We are. Not, not to make you have too much of a big head today that He forgives the debt. He releases us of the bondage and He forgives the debt. And with that in mind, let's pay close attention uh, into how this man responds to receiving such an impossible gift. Verse uh, 28. But when the same servant went out, right? So he went out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Okay? Now, just to help us with this, okay? 
100 denarii would basically be about $12,000. Okay? Not, not chump change, but still significantly less than what you owed. All right? So, so let's, let's see how he responds. What we want to do, right? We want to say, oh man, what he did was probably what the king just did, right? Um, let's just ask this question. What is, is that what you would have done? Okay? So here we go. So he, he sees this guy. Let's call the guy Mark. Um, seizes him. He begins to choke him. And he says, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Alright? It's like a deja vu moment. Except we got two different people. He refused and he went and he put him in prison until he should pay uh, the debt. Verse 31. And when his fellow servants saw that what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master, the king, all that had been taken, uh, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, "You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you?" Let's keep going. And in his anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. Which again, is this guy coming out? No. So also my heavenly Father will do to everyone if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And what happens here? All right, let's, let's go this way. Um, the point of the parable, because right? understand every time Jesus says something, especially in a parable, he's teaching us something. So the point of the parable is simply this, that receiving forgiveness of God should lead to giving forgiveness to others. Receiving forgiveness from God should lead to giving forgiveness to others. Now what happens is we will read this verse, this passage, and we'll say, well, I thought I was saved, but I don't want to forgive that person. Am I really saved? And I think there's a case to be made that God says, if you are not willing to forgive other people, then you don't understand the forgiveness you've received in me. At least not fully. Now again, does it make that easier or hard? It all depends. That, that you, can't, you can't walk out of the throne room of God with a debt canceled and then turn around with a lack of forgiveness because doing show reveals you never understood the depth of your debt and the incredible mercy that you've received in Christ. Just James says you're, you're a double-minded man. You're unstable in all your ways. You, you look at yourself in the mirror and you forget your reflection. I think this, this room here, I mean, it doubles as a cafeteria, um, but it, it's very much a throne room. It, we gather, we send praise as incense to Him. Our prayers reach Him as if we are on bended knee before His throne. We carry before Him an unimaginable true debt that He forgives us out of His love. And to walk out of this room today holding people under your thumb by not canceling the debt we believe they owe us is an, is an indicator, as Jesus says, that you don't understand the dishonor of your own sin. You don't understand it. And so what he does, unfairly or fairly, I don't, I don't know how you wear it, the guy just removes an option from the table. 
Like, like you, don't, you don't get to these verses and you don't gather the group around and say, hey, should I forgive them or not? God says, always. He says, if you are found in Christ, you always forgive. And what I love about it is he gave us steps right before that, right? Say, hey, here's how you address it. You don't just say, ah, let's just sweep that on the rug, that's forgiven. Did you address it? And then if you can be reconciled, great. And if you can't be reconciled, okay, but you still forgive. Because what does that forgiveness, lack of forgiveness do? It traps your heart. It wears you down. So let's, we can start wrapping this up. I'm, I'm going to say something here that you instinctively will not agree with. Okay? And I only say it because when I wrote it, I didn't agree with it either. That, that some of you may think this is... You, you might hear what I'm about to say, and you might be like, well, I'm out. I'm done with this place. And, and I don't fault you uh, for feeling that way, but, but it would be unloving of me to not, to not tell you, to withhold what I'm about to say, that, that no matter how much hurt you feel, no matter how much abuse you have suffered, you have not pained in the way that God has because of your sin. You haven't. And this is the argument, right? That somehow I am unique and my wound is deeper than all the other wounds. And I'm telling you, if your wound was the greatest wound in the room, you have not suffered as much as God does as He gives His Son as a sacrifice. You haven't. And this is the beauty of what we get to see in the Gospels. As we watch Jesus operate and serve and teach and walk us through, this is how you do life with God. This is how you understand the heart of the Father. And then we watch Him go to the cross and we get to see Him take punishment that He didn't deserve, that you and I did, that you have never one moment in your life have been pained to that degree. You have it. And, and I say that with love. I do. I do. I say that with as much love as I have in my heart. This isn't a, hey, just suck it up, buttercup moment. This is a, understand the debt you brought before your Heavenly Father and understand how merciful He is that in the midst of that pain, we get triumph. I'm not. I'm, I'm worried about this. I'm not discounting your hurt because I've, I've I've sat with some of you, and I know you have very real hurt. I'm not telling you to let it roll off like it's never happened. I'm I'm imploring you to take that hurt, to take that debt to God, and ask Him for the strength to forgive it in the same ways that He's forgiven us in Christ. Not as an experiment, but as a reflection of understanding the incredible amount of love. This has been our equation, almost a hypothesis, I guess. That the degree we are willing to forgive is the degree that we understand the forgiveness that God has given us in Christ. So if, if God has forgiven you much, and you get that, then you forgive much. I think this is the harmony of, of verses 15 and 20 and then 21 through 35 that we address the offense 
And we aren't expected to be doormats of abuse, but the intention of addressing the offense is to restore the relationship. And this is the movement of God in our direction. We restore what is broken because He has restored the brokenness in us. And so forgiveness, it says nothing about the fact that that some of us have, have kept the meter running. Right? We've received a wound. And now we've created a distance, but yet the meter's running. And it says nothing of the fact that, that there are wounds that we've received in our life that saying I'm sorry doesn't cut it. Some of us have kept the meter running in a way that there's no way they could pay it back. They can't make up for lost time. They can't make up for wounded hearts. And in our minds, we think saying I'm sorry or, saying, or confessing that and receiving forgiveness, it's, it's too, too little of a wound. That, that forgiveness is a process that, that can be painful and at times can seem unending. That whatever our pain, whatever our situation, we cannot afford to hold on to an unforgiving spirit for another moment. We have to get involved with this process of forgiving others and we find out that this is how we are really set free. That if, that if we will persevere and we will keep our eyes on the one who forgave us, it will be a liberating force like nothing we've ever experienced. Some of you don't understand what Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. You're like, I don't, I don't, I don't feel that hardly ever. I'm not sure if I've ever felt that. And I think for many of us, it's because we're trapped here. We're trapped in this conflict where we say, I'm not going to forgive because they don't deserve it. And then we forget that we didn't. We didn't. I love you guys. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. As we wrap up, I'd encourage you to be bold. We've been praying been praying for you for boldness that you'd be willing to do the hard things that you'd be intentional about sharing the gospel with people I think for some of us you just need a prayer for boldness that you'd be willing to forgive where there's an offense and that takes work you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. Maybe you've never asked for the forgiveness of God through Jesus. We want to walk with you through Maybe you have questions about that. We want to give you that opportunity to ask those questions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you because you love us. And I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would bring to us points of parts of our hearts that we are withholding forgiveness in and that you would move us towards holiness that you would in a really bizarre way Father that you would haunt us with Matthew 18 this week that everywhere we look we would see it that we wouldn't try to run away from it 
that we would just be a people who respond to the incredible amount of forgiveness we have in Jesus. Father, we thank You that You love us when we were most unlovable. And You give us a purpose for the glory of Your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.